Man City lose here whilst they're not competing. Did get yellow carded very early on in the match for being a bit too eager coming out of her goal and taking out, I think it was Leah Carlton. But, uh... <laughs> Subscribe to the OTB Koyig pod on the OTB Sports app now. Welcome back to Wednesday night's Off the Ball. Richie McCormick here with you until 10pm tonight, joined by my able assistant, Mr. Kenny Cunningham, the former Republic of Ireland captain, of course. I'm your Debbie McGee. You pretty Rich, I'm your Debbie McGee. You certainly are, Kenny. <laughs> you got the looks over me as well, much as Debbie did over dear old Paul. Uh, it is uh, time to look on the sacking of Thomas Tuchel, the departure of Thomas Tuchel, whatever way you want to frame this. Either way, he left the Chelsea job after seven games this season after spending £300 million in the summer transfer window. John Bruin joins us on the line. John, Good evening to you. Good evening, Richie. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. We've got Kenny here with us as well, John. And uh, hi, Kenny. How's it going, John? Like, like I say, a bit of a surprise to some degree. I think, I think everybody's kind of got that element of surprise that it came so early in the season. But also, it seemed as if Thomas Tuchel had been spoiling for a fight from the first kickoff of this season as well. So, in that aspect, this departure hasn't necessarily come as all that huge of a surprise. I have to say, it still came as a surprise. Um, having said that, you watched the Dinamo Zagreb game last night, and he didn't look like he had longed for this world. Maybe you maybe would have thought he might get another game uh, or two, but yeah, the, the, the signals coming out of Chelsea have not been great for a while. Uh, I was down at Cobham about three weeks ago, in fact. Uh, and uh, during the, the press conference he gave, uh, it was ahead of the Leeds game, which they ended up losing. Uh, he talks of uh, actually, it was asked a question about a new contract, which he said he was happy to sign, uh, uh, but he left it with his representatives. And he, I think the words were, "You know that I love it here." And, and he did seem very settled in Chelsea and Chelsea life. Um, Funny enough, my dad lives in Cobham uh, and has seen Thomas Tuchel wandering the streets of Cobham, looking very, you know, very relaxed there, you know, mm. in the coffee bars and all the rest of it. Uh, but it Expensive coffee there, John. Cobham, oh, Cobham High yeah. Street. <laughs> Cobham High Street. It's not cheap, as you know, Kenny. Yes, exactly. That's all very... uh, he's lived there 30 years before it went completely posh. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I do uh, I, I do find it quite amusing that he lives among the footballers and all the rest of it. But yeah, and, and he said that, you know, you see, you've seen him around, very relaxed guy. Uh, and the thing is, if you, if you meet Thomas Tuchel or you go to one of his press conferences, he's a pretty relaxed guy, sees through the the nonsense of the media and so on. But the reports from behind the scenes are that he can be a very intense character. And actually think about uh, his reign at Borussia Dortmund and at PSG. And if you think about those, both of those ended in some sort of rancour with the players and with the officials at the club that he worked at. And that appears to have followed the same pattern here. I think we can say that Thomas Tuchel is a good manager, but you might have to consider him as a, a short-term manager. Um, but th- there is this extra variable, and the one that you introduced there, Richie, is that mm. they have spent £250, £300 million pounds Signed him a striker in Obama Young, who he's supposed to be close to, that nobody else really wanted. And there, and he was also, he had a, a bit of a nightmare against uh, Dinamo Zagreb, by the way. Um, and then you've got this this pl- this player, and you've got these signings, and you've got this manager uh, who has to work with these signings that he's made. And there's been this idea of, uh, that they were not happy that he dismissed the idea of signing Ronaldo out of hand. Um, there appears to have been a culture clash there. Um, and, and again, as you said, it did appear that uh, Thomas Sukal, if there was an exit door, 
he didn't mind walking through it in the end. Yeah, he looked increasingly stressed and increasingly, I don't know, worn out by the gig over the course of the, the last few weeks. I think the Spurs thing was just a, a flashpoint of all that it certainly looked to be from the outside. But on that, the spending of, you know, 250, 300 million, bringing in players that he was clearly close to and preferring those signings over the likes of Ronaldo, how much truth is there in that schism between Todd Bowley and Thomas Tuchel, do we think, over the Ronaldo potential deal? Well, I think that story is true. I I, 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 just, I think the thing is that you know, Todd Bowley and the Clear Lake consortium came in and uh, th- th- there's this idea that they uh, were, were novices in this world, but what they do is, uh, from what I understand, they engaged a couple of agents to help them through this process. Todd Bowley taking on the... This role as temporary sporting director always seemed quite pointed, didn't it? Um, you know, I'm going to control these things. And, and what that means is that you've got this relationship between Tuchel and uh, essentially his boss. Um, and I think he said, I think he's on record as saying that he's found it easier working where he's just coaches. And he did say that when he arrived at Chelsea in the first place, because you had Marina Gravisky running things, you had Petr Cech involved, uh, and Tuchel was just allowed to get on with the running of the team. Um, you get the you get the impression that Thomas Tuchel doesn't react too well to distractions, and if and and that there is this idea that um, the, the Todd Bowley regime would ask him to explain most things, whereas a, a, a manager working at the top of the game would expect the executives around him to understand how things worked, uh, and there was obviously some friction there. Um, but you know, uh, if we were to consider. Uh, the Roman Abramovich regime, uh, the one that Todd Bowley replaced, uh, Tuchel getting sacked at this point of the season wouldn't represent any shock at all, would it? When you consider the performances, a couple of away defeats, uh, a defeat in the Champions League, that's just Chelsea. That's the Chelsea we've come to expect. And I suppose what is a surprise or what is something that we perhaps didn't expect is that the, the new Chelsea is acting in this same fashion. It's a strange one in that Chelsea have always had, at least in the Abramovich era, someone like Michael Emanolo, someone like Marina Granovskaya to be that buffer, I guess, between Abramovich and the manager, whoever that might be. And there have been several, obviously, over the past uh, two decades. <clears throat> but they always seem to get the business of the business of the club running pretty smoothly. <clears throat> and it didn't really become the concern of the manager and it kind of walled them off from that. Todd Bowley taking all of this on seems a bit of a stretch, especially for someone who's a new owner. I mean, Abramovich knew enough to know that he didn't know about certain aspects and put people like that in charge of them. Whereas Todd Bowley seems to be clasping his hands and say, it's grand, I've got this, I'll take charge of all these things. Well, you could never uh, account for the ego of uh, the uh, American tycoon, can you? Mm. Uh, and... Uh, you <laughs> Uh, listen, uh, you know, I've worked for American companies in the past. The CEO is the all-seeing eye, and they take credit for everything that goes well. And for those that doesn't go well, well, that's not their fault, and that wasn't their decision. And um, it, 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 yeah, it does seem to be an, an all-encompassing thing from Todd Bowley. Quite unusual. Um, it's certainly completely opposite to to the role that say. Uh, the Glazers took at Manchester United. Um, though the one that you would compare it to, and this might be a worry for Chelsea fans, that it's like a very different era, would be the Hicks and Gillette thing at Liverpool. And they interfered, didn't they? And mm. they ended up in this this row with uh, with Rafa Benitez. And I suppose also the, 
uh, the early years of FSG. I remember the rows that it would have with Brendan Rogers over transfer targets and, and so on. Um, you work for an American company, you work for a company for any part of the world. They want to do it their way. They want to do it their way, which is, hey, we've got the money. We bought this club. We paid for it. We we want our decisions to be final. And for a manager like Tuchel, who has delivered them a Champions League and is used to this idea that if the coach doesn't have quite the final say, his say is very important, then there is going to be friction between those two approaches. They seem to have worked pretty quickly, though, in identifying a successor. That successor seems to be, if I were to believe today, is going to be Graham Potter. Um, a quick decision, at least, from uh, Todd Bowley and those advising him. Yeah, but I, I suppose if you were to consider that they... Uh, <laughs> OK, uh, Graham Potter has worked at, at Brighton for uh, Tony Bloom, who, uh, you know, is... If not an autocratic owner, he's someone that likes a big say in what goes on at the club. They've also had Dan Ashworth, uh, the C, the sporting director, who's now with Newcastle. And I think maybe uh, what what Todd Bowley and his advisors around him have thought: who's the best at operating within the structure that they eventually want to operate at Chelsea? Well, that would be Graham Potter. Um, and I suppose one of the things about Graham Potter is uh, he is not. Someone uh, like Tuchel, who is given to public shows of uh, frustration, or is someone who you might expect friction. Um, I'm not sure that's totally the case. I mean, I don't know Graham Potter. I mean, you know, those I suppose those fairly downbeat uh, middle Midlands England tones suggest a guy that's you know takes things in his stride. Uh, I've always found in a press conference that he's very circumspect, even at a time when I've seen you know they've beaten Tottenham. Uh, they pulled off big victories, uh, sort of at West Ham the other week, you know, uh, just uh, very methodical in the way that he talks through things. But um, there's a few players at Brighton that have been bombed out in a similar fashion to those that happened at, with with Tuchel at Chelsea. Uh, every manager wants his own way in the end. It's a, it's a big step up for him, but I think one of the things about Potter is that uh, underneath that uh, unassuming... Uh, Public face. There's perhaps an ambitious guy there. I mean, over when he was in, um, was it Ostersunds, was the club that he was yeah. with? Uh, yeah. I mean, he did a lot of interviews with people in the UK. Made sure that his name was out there. Uh, he didn't hang around too long at Swansea when the, the bigger job came up. Uh, and I suppose if you if you like someone like Graham Potter, then you might think a job like Chelsea is not going to come your way. There's no reason why he wouldn't take that job. Obviously, it's going to secure him financially. If he's the, is he the right man for Chelsea? Um, I don't know. If, if Chelsea stop being chaotic, then someone calm like Potter might suit it. Maybe that's what they're trying to do: change the culture of the club to, to increase that that level of calm. But I think there are a few questions to be asked about him as a manager, just because of his level of experience, um, and also the level of experience of the people that own the club as well, because they've shown. Uh, particularly in that transfer window business that they did, um, that's inexperience. You can't just go out and spend two hundred fifty million and sack the manager straight after it. it. It's not the done thing in football, is it? No, or no. soccer, so we call it. <laughs> it. It's just it is remarkable that it it will be a huge step up for Graham Potter because the the size of the task at hand, the to from the one between Brighton and the one at Chelsea is you know day and night, and as you say. 
there's a, a really unstable situation there at the moment whereby he's coming into a squad that isn't his and he has to try and steady the ship as quickly as possible and while still aiming them towards winning a Champions League and getting back into the Champions League via the league next year I mean that that's all pretty big and stuff that he hasn't dealt with before as a manager and that's a giant leap well yeah I mean I mean you could say if you actually look at it over the last let's say 10 11 months Chelsea haven't been in that great form uh, if you look back to the start of the uh, 21-22 season, it was them, City, Liverpool. Those are the contenders. But what was keeping Tuchel in the job was that he'd won the, the Champions League because those are the standards that are expected of a Chelsea manager. You have to win big prizes. They did lose three cup finals as well, which probably counted against him in the end. But even at Chelsea, that's not enough, is it? I mean, we saw... How many months did Di Matteo last after winning the Champions League 10 years ago? It was four, five, say, mm. at, at the most. Um, you are... And that's that's part of Chelsea, the culture of Chelsea as it was and as it appears to be, that, that huge pressure. And as you, as you say, Richie, he's not been in that position before. Um, and uh, it's a huge test of any manager if you actually look at the quality of manager that's been through that club Jose Mourinho you know, whatever you think of him now one of the greatest managers of all time Conte you know a modern great Carlo Ancelotti all of them have fallen foul of the Chelsea culture now we have a new Chelsea but um, the club despite its owners changing isn't going to change that quickly is yeah. it um, and at the end of the season Having sat, to, having sat to manage it in sixth place uh, and Graham Potter's there and he say he doesn't get them into the Champions League, what happens to Graham Potter then? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Because we don't know how the, the, the Todd Bowley regime, the Clear Lake regime is going to react. There's so many intangibles with this story. It really is a very interesting development. John, do you not think, I think there'll be a perception out there amongst most uh, the football and public, somebody in Graham Potter's position, manager of Brighton, mid-table club, an opportunity to manage Chelsea. If he's offered, he's just got to take it. Why wouldn't he? But yeah. just, I just, feel, I just feel as if we're part of stars very much uh, on the rise. I take a point; he hasn't proved himself to the top level. But if you took that argument to his extreme, you'd never give any manager an opportunity. At some point, even the great uh, managers, somebody gave them an opportunity at some point to prove themselves in an elite environment. Now, I'm a big fan of Potter what he's done in the last year. I think he's kind of very bright, very intelligent. I think he'll assess this situation very quickly. I'm not convinced if he's even offered that job, he'll necessarily take it for the reasons that you're saying in terms of a bit of general madness around the football club, particularly upstairs uh, above him in terms of how he'd have to manage that situation. And I think he'd be, you know, would be the worst advice in the world to maybe take a step back, stay where you are, continue your development, continue to set the standards that you have at Brighton and maybe a job of a similar stature will come up in, few, in the in the next two to three years, maybe even the biggest one of all, I'd suggest even at Manchester City, if Guardiola elects to step away yeah. in the next year or two. If you were to ask me, John, if Guardiola was to suggest to the owners, uh, the kingmakers at Manchester City, who he wants to come in and continue his legacy at Manchester City and continue in terms of his philosophy, style of play, etc., etc., I think Graham Park would be very high on his list, on Pep Guardiola's list in terms of people to replace him. don't know how you feel. Yeah, I think that's that's a, that's a fair assessment. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do. I, I, I'm always when these type of things come up. I, I, I always remember this quote, uh, and this actually turned out quite ill-fated in the end. But um, uh, 
It was from Brian Kidd. Remember Brian Kidd was offered the Blackburn job back in 1998. uh, And uh, Brian Kidd has that very, uh, those very hushed Mancunian tones, doesn't he? And he just said, I didn't want to die wondering, you know, what it would be like to be a manager. And I think if you were Graham Potter and you were offered, I mean, I don't know what the salary would be, but it would be uh, seven figures, say, a a year. Let's say that. Um, Take that job. could you turn it down? Can't, I don't. Can't know. be money, John. From his, he's going to earn he, what he's earning now. But he's a young manager, John. He's going to earn a huge yeah. amount of, of money over a prolonged period of time. I'd be very disappointed, actually. Maybe I've got his character totally wrong. If I thought financially that was going to be um, yeah, the, sure. his biggest decision in terms of whether to take that job or not, I actually look at him in the other way. I think he he, he looks at it from a different lens completely in terms of his like career mm. uh, development. And I think potentially yeah. he looks for the reasons that you said, like I said, and we all maybe suspect just timing. Normally you'd say Chelsea, yeah, possibly so. Yeah, why wouldn't you? But I just think at the moment, I don't think there's a necessity for him to go and jump in there into the far with his fingers crossed and just kind of hope he kind of lands and manages to turn things around. I think he's young enough, John, to take a step away, continue where he is at the moment and just, you know, eye the landscape and just wait for potentially another one of those jobs to yeah. come up. All right, Kenny. Uh, John, we've run out of time. Ken, uh, John, thanks a million so much for joining us and uh, pleasure as always. Great to talk to you, lads. Cheers, John. Evening. There you go. There's John Bruin and football on Off the Ball, brought to you by Sky. European action is back. You can watch every UEFA Champions League and Europa League match this season live on BT Sport. We're going to be keeping tabs on Liverpool's adventures in Naples tonight. Also, Tottenham in the Chris Waddle Derby at home to Marseille. And we'll be talking to David Gillick very shortly indeed.